So, 1 Samuel chapter 17. As I was reading and studying this, I just had this thought that maybe you don't experience setbacks and failures. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't experience that, this morning, this one is not for you. You can listen. But there are those of us who do experience these setbacks, failures, and difficulties. And you know, one of those things that you experience during a setback is this feeling of, I'm alone in this. I am the only one in this. And you can get to a point where you don't really dare to go further and you can't go backwards. You're stuck. And then you feel bad for being stuck. And if you were a better person, you wouldn't be stuck like this, but here you are. So you're that kind of person, you're stuck, and you really are getting what you deserve. You're a loser. And there is a way to answer that. And the answer to that feeling and these difficulties is that you are not alone. There is a God for you. Now, 1 Samuel 17 is a huge chapter. It's long. There's a lot in it that's great. But it is saying one thing, that there is a God for Israel. And because there is a God for Israel, that means there's a God for you. I'll start at the beginning of the chapter. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they were encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, 
then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here, Israel and Saul the king let themselves be intimidated and degraded by the Philistines' cheating. This was going to be a battle just like any other with the Philistines. They camp on Israel's land. They move in. They get ready to fight. And Saul and his men camp on the other side of a valley. They're both up on hills. So anybody who attacks is, have to, is going to have to go upwards. And that's more difficult. So they're both in their positions of safety. And the real action is going to be in the valley. So, so far, all is normal. And then the Philistines cheat. And they say, well, why go through charge, attack, slaughter, when we can just have it out man to man? And the challenger is Goliath. Now, Six cubits in a span turn out to be nine and a half feet tall. So this guy's ginormous. Just his coat of mail is something like 132 pounds of bronze. And there's two ways of looking at his spear. One is that it's like a weaver's beam, so it's like a huge thing to throw. And of course, the tip on it weighs more than 15 pounds. I don't know if you've ever gone bowling American style with the lanes and pins and all, but that's about the average weight of a bowling ball. And if you've ever picked one of those things up, you realize how out of shape you are. This is what he has on his spear. The other way of looking at that spear, and the reason why they call it like a weaver's beam, is that there were certain spears that had ropes attached to them in a way that enabled you to throw them further, harder, and more accurately. And it could be that it's referring to that. Now, with a 15-pound iron spear tip on that thing, with the throwing ropes, this guy's like a tank. He's armored like a tank, and what he throws will go right through whatever you've got. So this guy is a monster. Now, the Philistines are cheating because they put Goliath forward, and he says, I'm a guy, you're a guy. So let's have this out man to man. And everybody knows nobody would have a fair chance against him. So what the Philistines are doing here is they want to paralyze Israel and demoralize Israel. And it's working because everybody is afraid. 
from the infantryman right up to Saul. And Saul is in a tough spot because you remember he is the tallest man in Israel as well as the best looking. And you know, if it's a matter of size alone, he would be the guy to go up against Goliath. But he won't do it. For one reason, he's the king. And if he goes out there and gets killed, then we have bigger problems. No succession. Country without a head. He doesn't want to go there. But again, Goliath is unbelievably huge. He is a tank. A normal person would not have a chance against him. So here's an interesting dilemma and crisis because the Philistines are already winning the battle without swinging sword because they've taken Israel's ability to go forward. They're neutralizing Israel. Israel can't go forward. They can't go backward. And they're stuck. Now, the ultimate goal here is to degrade Israel. You know, the Philistines don't need incapable slaves. This is not why they're doing this. They want Israel to be on the ground, unable to act for themselves, inferior, with no honor, no glory. It seems like the Philistines have nothing better to do than to oppress and humiliate God's people. And this is because the devil loves to intimidate and enslave God's people to keep them from being able to go forward because of fear. What is going to happen? Now, because Israel belongs to God, they're his people, when they're degraded, it also degrades God. It testifies that there is no God that he doesn't exist, that God doesn't help man. All that counts is man. And we're by ourselves. We're alone. We're helpless in the fear of death. And you know, in that place, you are as good as dead already. Through fear, we are made as nothing, even as we still exist. So let's read in verse 12. It says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. 
and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried green and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers are, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in the battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now in this section... We get this long introduction to David, whom we really have already met. But what we want to notice here is that he's actually working two jobs. That he occasionally, down in verse 15, went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, there are some people who teach that this is a completely different introduction to David, and some bad editor of the Bible sort of slammed a bunch of stories together and didn't check to see if they coincided. It's just, this is a great story, let's stick it in. doesn't matter if it agrees, and they seem to notice contradictions or discrepancies, but Notice in verse 15 that David occasionally went and returned from Saul. So see, the writer knows that David has already been serving with Saul as his armor bearer, that David is staying in the court as we saw in chapter 16. And so this is one of those situations where David is on leave, as it were, from Saul And he's taking care of his father's sheep. Now, this detail I find really intriguing. Why would David go back and forth? Why not just stay where the action is, the glamour, the king's court? 
he's right at the very center of the authority and power in Israel. And you can always get somebody to feed the sheep. In fact, he, in verse 20, he says, he left the sheep with a keeper. So it wasn't like his dad was stuck and says, David, you got to help me. I want you to come back from serving the king to watch my sheep. That's not what's going on here. There's something about shepherding that David pursues. He actually takes breaks from the court to do it. We'll consider this again in a little while, but just keep that in your mind. And you'll notice in verse 16, while David is feeding the sheep, tending the sheep, Goliath is degrading Israel and God twice a day, morning and evening for 40 days, which is a long time to do the same thing over and over. And again, no progress, nothing. Israel is just on the floor, helpless. Now, as Father Jesse wants to know how things are going with Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah, so he sends David with, you know, some treats for the guys and some cheeses for their commander. He wants them to come back with news. And when David gets to the Israeli camp, then this whole drama happens again the way it's happened every morning and every evening for 40 days. And it's this crazy thing where all the guys run out and they're, ah, we're going to go to war. And then Goliath comes out and they all run away. And you think, man, this is, this is looping. This is just reliving the same day over and over again. And David also hears the men talking. They're, they're talking about Goliath. They're talking about the incentives the king has given. Uh, the guy that kills Goliath. If you kill him, then I'm going to give you great riches. You're going to marry my daughter and be a part of my family your whole family is going to be free from taxes. And everybody's talking about him, but nobody is saying, oh man, man, I'm going to go for it. Everybody is saying, nope, there's not enough riches. The daughter is not beautiful enough. And, you know, we've survived this long paying taxes. We can survive a little bit longer. None of this is any motivation at all. So they're talking and nothing else. There's no fighting, no progress, just fear. And so it really is amazing that of all these men, right up to the king of Israel, only one person is not afraid, and that is David. Now, he's asking about this reward. He hears them talk. And he asks about it a couple of times. But he's not trying to get it straight in his mind. Let me, get, let me get this straight now. How much do you get? Which daughter is it? 
uh, how, what, what does my family mean? How does he define that? Like, what, how free are we going to be with taxes? He's not trying to get that straight. You know, what his real question is, who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he should taunt and degrade the armies of the living God? Because he is reproaching God. He is blaspheming God. He's saying that God is worthless and his people are worthless and despicable. And that's a lie. Now he calls them an uncircumcised Philistine. And what that means to David is this guy has zero relationship to God. He's not in the covenant of God. He has no tie to God, no claim on God. And that means he's sinning against his own life. This guy needs to be killed. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to fight against him, for you're a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So both David's brother and Saul say to him, you can't do this. Now, Eliab is angry. And he's angry because he's embarrassed. He's the oldest of the brothers, and that means he's the best of the brothers from a human reckoning. But you know, he's as stuck as Saul is. And he reacts from embarrassment. And he thinks that somehow David is making fun of him or making fun of everybody. You know, and he gets angry because it is embarrassing. It is one guy out there saying, I defy, and somebody sh should be able to kill him. But man, the guy's a monster. So in effect, Eliab just turns on David and says, who do you think you are? You know, you know what you are? You are a little shepherd boy. And you think you're a hot shot. And he accuses David of pride and wickedness. And he's trying to tell him, you know what? You have nothing to boast of, you twerp. You shepherd a few scrawny sheep and that's all you are. 
And David goes, whoa, I, I haven't done anything here. And he talks to another guy and finally it gets around camp and he gets to, to Saul. Hey, your armor bearer is talking about going out and fighting this guy. And he calls David up and he says, you can't do this. This is the second time. There's no way you can do this. You are a kid. And he's been doing this since he was a kid. So you're a little kid and he's a monster. So whatever you're thinking, whatever your confidence is, uh, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. You cannot do this. And David says to Saul the king, I can do this and I will do this. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So, David has something that nobody else in Israel has. Determination, confidence, to face danger and know that he is going to succeed. And it comes from the experience he had with those few scrawny sheep that Eliab thought was so despicable. You know, it's not how many sheep you tend. It's what you do with them that determines if you're a man of God. And David experienced the Lord delivering him from a lion, from a bear. And so David had experience to know that God was going to deliver him from this Philistine. He knew God was with him. And he knew that the presence of God with him would defeat that Philistine. So Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. It's kind of like saying the force be with you. That's really what David is counting on though, that the Lord is really with him. So Saul now actually works against David in trying to help him. Verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I've not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook 
and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now Saul figures, well, I guess I ought to help him. So he says, why don't you put on my armor? And he basically loads a couple of kilos of bronze armor on David. And has David ever worn this stuff before? Does he know what to do with it all? I don't know. And he tries it out, kind of says, I can't even move in this. And he leaves it all behind. And instead, he stops by the brook and he picks out five smooth stones. Because he's got a sling. And he says, you know what? This is more my style. This is who I am. And I think it's interesting that David gets to be who he is. He doesn't have to be like everybody else. All those other guys in Israel are thinking, you got to have a sword, a shield, armor. That's what you need. That's what you got to take on Goliath with. And nobody feels like they're up to it. And Saul even tries to make David like himself. You got to wear the armor. Here's a sword. You got to be like us, David. Well, he's already not like them. Because they're all scared to death. And David isn't scared. So he gets to be himself. And fight as himself. And that's because God is with him. He's fighting through David. And that means that what David brings is good enough. Now, David is not defending himself. That's why he's not coming with armor. He's attacking. He's fighting to win. He's not trying to hold a position or barely survive. He's going out there to attack. And here we come to the point of the chapter. David shows the world that there is a God for Israel. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the, David, uh, and the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's tough talk before the battle. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So Goliath goes out there and sees David and totally underestimates him. Eliab totally underestimated David. Saul looked at David and said, you can't do this. And now the Philistine looks at David, evaluates him by what he sees and says, what is this, a joke? Eliab, Saul, and the Philistine look at David and see a kid. And he's cute, but he doesn't have any armor. He's not dangerous. And the Philistine is even insulted. Verse 43 says, What, are you you treating me like a dog? Like I'm going to go fetch your sticks? And he curses David by his gods. And this is that kind of psychological rattling that you do before battle. And you say, I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. You're not going to survive. And that's your big chance to go, you know what? You got a point there. I got to go places. I left a pot on the stove. Heck, I got I to gotta get out of here. But you know, David talks right back. And he's not trying to rattle Goliath. This is the reason why he is fighting this Philistine. See, it's bigger than David. The whole point of this is the testimony that there is a God in Israel and that this God is for Israel. And he says, your weapons are nothing. You're coming to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Those weapons aren't going to do anything for you. Because you have blasphemed the name of the Lord. And they're not going to do you any good. And in fact, I'm going to take your head off. And I'm going to give all the dead bodies of the Philistine armies to the birds to eat. See, many of you are going to die today. It's not just you. It's all of you. You're all going to die that the earth may know that there is a God for Israel. And everyone here today is going to know that God does not save with sword or spear. Because that's what everybody was thinking. The Philistines are thinking, you've got to have a bigger sword. You've got to have a bigger shield, a bigger spear. And all the Israelites are thinking, my sword is too small. My shield is too small. I am too small. But they're all not thinking about God. And David says, this battle belongs to the Lord. He has already won it. And so we see that everything that David has spoken comes true. 
kind of like Samuel. Because what David here is doing is prophesying what is going to happen. Verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley, and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shearim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Everything that David said was going to happen was not idle boast, wasn't psychological chatter to shake up the enemy. He just said, this is what's going to happen to you. And then he goes ahead and does it. That Philistine's weapons are as nothing before God. He doesn't have time to use any of them. And David uses a sling to break Goliath's skull in a place where there was no armor. Now, I have heard famous men of God teach that it was a miracle that David hit him because a sling is kind of an inaccurate instrument. And you know, the Bible itself talks about an entire group of Israelis who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. In other words, it was skill. And David has that skill. Now, you know, where would he pick that up? There's a lot of time when you're watching sheep. And David used that time to get really good at slinging a stone. That's who he was. So David's going out there going, I can't miss this guy. He's so big. So the Philistine had no protection before God. And you notice he also fell on his face to the earth, verse 49. The, the human body is weighted so that when you lose consciousness and fall, you always go forward 
That's why those kind of sessions that'll happen in a church where people are seemingly overcome by the Holy Spirit and they fall backwards, there's something not quite right about that because if you really lose consciousness, you're always going to fall forward. And you can try this if you have a bed in front of you. Just try losing consciousness. You find you always go forward. Just something to think about. Because if you fall on your face, you're going to hurt your nose. And nobody falling in church wants to hurt their nose. But falling on one's face is the proper posture of man before God. And that's what the Philistine assumes for the first and last time. He's on his face. And David uses Goliath's sword to cut off his head, which he said he would do. And a lot of Philistines die before they get to a fortified city. And that's what David said would happen. And Israel finds that the Philistines died just like men. And they actually returned to plunder the tents that the Philistines have been living in for the last month or so. So there's a lot of spoil there. And there's Saul, king of Israel, talking to his commander, Abner. Who is this guy? And they're asking, who is his father? They already knew who David was. But now they're thinking, where does he come from? Where does a guy like David come from? How do you just have a guy who has confidence and the ability to face danger with the Lord? Where does that come from? And Abner goes, you know what? I have no clue. I don't, I don't, where does this guy come from? And see, that is the real question here. How is it? that David believes that he can go up against a guy who's a monster and take him on and kill him? How does he have that confidence? How does he believe that he can do this? And it goes back to that experience he had while shepherding his father's sheep. A lot of things happened while David was doing his job. And he used that time. Now, you know, we can be tempted sometimes to think, my job is a nothing job. I am going nowhere. I am doing nothing. But even a nothing job can be the place where you learn that God is with you. Remember that David was a shepherd before he was anointed king of Israel. And it had to be during that time that he established his relationship with God and grew in it. And while he was watching sheep, tending them, he still has all this time and he pursued his relationship with the Lord. He read the word of the Lord and he meditated on it. And we know this is true. 
you look at David's Psalms, he turns out to be the foremost exemplar of a guy who meditates in the scriptures. He talks about it constantly. And you know, meditating on the scriptures is not a really fast thing, a brief thing. You can speed date, but you cannot speed meditate. You think, well, how would David even get the idea to do it at all? Where would he pick that up? And it's from the example of Joshua. This is what God himself told Joshua to do in in Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So imagine David reading that and saying to himself, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to meditate in the scriptures day and night. Because look what happened with Joshua. I've got the history of it right here. He conquered 31 kings. I want to be like that. Now, when a person meditates on the scriptures, it becomes more than just thinking about words on a page. Because these words in the Bible are different. They're living, they're active, and they make a path that leads directly to the living God. Now, I've been meditating in Psalm 119. I might be meditating in that psalm for the rest of my life. It's, it's huge. It's got like 167 verses. But in verse 27, it says, Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. So the psalmist is beginning with this idea of make me understand the way of your precepts. So yeah, he's dealing with the commandments of God. But he says, I'm going to end up meditating on your wonderful works, your miracles. It goes beyond the law to the one who gave the law. And you, you have to think about God. You see how God dealt with Noah and saved him out of a global flood. You see how God dealt with Abraham and 316 trained servants to conquer four kings who had just wiped out five cities in Canaan. You see how God takes a man like Joseph and he's a slave and he goes to being a prisoner and then in a single day, He makes him the most powerful man in Egypt. And you realize God does miracles. And you see miracles of providing, miracles of victory, miracles of healing, of guidance. And behind these miracles, you see God, sovereign, 
a God of providence. And the point is, when you meditate on the word of God, you end up seeing God. Now, Jesus talks about this same phenomenon to religious leaders in John chapter 5, in verse 39. He says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The intent of the scriptures is to lead us to Jesus who will give us life. And here are the, the Jewish leaders, and they're focused on the scriptures, and yet when the one that they are meant to lead to comes, they say no. But here's this idea. It's the word that leads to God. And David let these scriptures lead him to God. And it began a lifetime of David coming to know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then David found out that every word of God is true by experience. You see, this lion attacks while he's on the job. A bear attacks. And he finds that God enables him to have the presence of mind, not to get freaked out. And not to think, I'm all alone. I'm dead. Let him take the sheep. Better him than me. No. He grabs a sword and he says, give me that. Grabs him. Kills him. Then he goes, wow. God helped me because he says that. He says, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, the paw of the Philistine. He's going to die like an animal. He got the experience that every word of God is true. Now, if you see God, you end up seeing man in the proper perspective. It says in Psalm 49, verse 20, a man who was in honor yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. Now, David didn't write that. It was written later. But it's the same perspective of God. A guy who is in no covenant relationship with God, he's living like an animal. And that's what Goliath was. He's going to die like an animal. He's living below the level of man. Because that, what it means to be man is to know God and to walk with him. And this big Philistine is just like a lion and a bear. He's going to die like an animal. And I'm not going to be afraid of him any more than I was afraid of a bear or a lion. So here's the point. There is a God in Israel for Israel. That's what David proved. And that means there's a God for you. You are not alone against the devil and against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You are not alone. 
you're not powerless. And you don't have to be afraid. You can go forward. You go forward in the presence of the Lord. He is for you. And that makes the great business of our life to know the Lord and to know his presence. You learn his presence in his presence. That's where you learn it. And you you come to his word and there you have time with him. And you meditate and you pray. So that's what we're doing is learning the presence of the Lord. Are you paying attention to that? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you that your word reveals the truth that you are for us. And as Paul wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? We thank you, Lord, that because you're with us, we are not alone. And it is not true to think over and over, I am alone. That's the devil. And today we want to reject those mantras that we repeat over and over. I am alone. I can't do anything. I'm a loser. And instead, we want to rejoice in your presence. We want to rejoice in the fact that you said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we rejoice because you are going to make our lives a testimony that there is a God for Israel. Everyone can look at our lives and say there must be a God. And that's what you want. And we pray that your will would be accomplished in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this day and help us to serve you and love you and serve the people around us. And to remember, it is more blessed to give than receive. Help us to esteem one another better than ourselves. Help us to love one another. And through this week, all of the issues that we face, they are as nothing before you. Help us to live in your presence. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we'll see you, and hopefully we'll be back on next week. Keep looking at the website, calvarytw.uk, and we'll look forward to seeing you Tuesday night and Friday night, 
and hopefully in the building on Sunday. God bless you.